The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. If you or someone you are close to is dealing with addiction, there are so many programs out there that can help you. But how do you gauge which ones are going to work the best for you? Some are expensive, some deal with some of the issues, but don't get to the heart of the matter. Others treat the problem at a basic level, but don't determine ultimate success. Join us now for an hour that sets out to be truly groundbreaking and will help you discover how to find the best program for your addiction problem. Now, here is Ross Ramin. Hi, welcome to the show. This is Ross Ramin, and this is The Power to Create Yourself. We are coming to you from Los Angeles, California at the Rebos Treatment Center. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Um, it's a pleasure to have you all with us. We are we are lucky to have a guest with us today. His name is Dylan, and Dylan is a person with nine months of sobriety. Um, he's part of our kind of our new series where we're doing in with The Power to Create Yourself. We're calling it Client Files, and we're getting um, – we're getting – clients to come in or people, I shouldn't say clients, I should say more or less um, just, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics that have been through the ringer, um, that have a certain amount of uh, sober, clean time underneath their belt. And so they, they can share their um, their successes with us, their struggles, what works, what doesn't work. Because um, I know there's a lot of listeners out there that really struggle with this. And having people that are, you know, on the ground right now doing the deal um, like I said Dylan's got nine months of sobriety he's been through a few different treatments um, and he's struggled and um, now he's really getting his um, his balance in his life he's gotten the physical sobriety and now he's getting the emotional sobriety component to it so um, I'd like to introduce him now Dylan how you doing welcome to the show thanks Ross good to be here you got it buddy um, Give our listeners a little bit of a, um, a timeline of where you were nine months ago. What, what's been going on? I know you've been through a couple different treatment programs, and I really want, I want, the, client, I want the people that are listening to really understand what, what you went through, um, what the, you know, the struggles you went through, the ups, the downs. I know you thought you had it at one time. Mm-hmm. I know you really thought you had it at one time, and then the wheels fell off. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of go into depth about that. Where were you nine months ago? What? How'd this all come together? Oh, man. Nine months ago, I was I was sleeping on my buddy's couch mm-hmm. in his apartment. Um, I, uh, I was in a bad way. I was just – I was really lost. Um you know, I had built up some time. I had kind of was beginning to discover to discover who I was. How much time did you have? I had about a year and a half. Oh wow! Yeah, um, and uh, you know, I was doing the deal. I was going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I was working the steps. Uh, I had a sponsor that I was working pretty rigorously with. I worked full time in a treatment center. Yeah. Or at a sober living, and then I lived as a night manager as, as at a 
separate during house during the graveyard shift. Uh, ultimately, because it was free, it really wasn't anything like I need to give back to these people. It was more just like I, I, I was out here. You know, I moved out here two and a half years ago, and my parents kind of cut me off financially, so I had to figure it out. Yeah. You know, um, how old are you? Twenty-three. Right on. Yeah. So, um, but that's before nine months ago. Nine months ago, I was struggling. Um, I had picked up. Um, Roxy's Oxycontin, um, mm-hmm. like mid-December 2015, um, while working at a sub living and living at one as a night manager. Um, and I ripped and ran for about a month and a half, but only about a month until I had admitted to my job and to my night as my night, an overnight guy as well. I admitted to both of those, um, ended up, you know, I had a car, so I left there and I just kind of couch served for two weeks. Um, and once the money ran out and the bill, you know, the, the paycheck stopped coming from my job, I was um, pinching pennies. And um, I'd say about a week before I had decided to, that I like had, you know, given up. Um, at this point, my whole family knew that I was out there, yeah. you know, for, for what they would call it. Just Dylan's out there, you yeah. know. Um, I was... Uh, I was staying at my buddy's house. I wasn't working, and I was just buying heroin every day, wow. um, smoking it. I never shot, but I always smoked it. I loved smoking it off tinfoil. That was like my thing. Same right. with oxycontin. Yeah. Um, and I. Uh, Heroin's yeah. your drug of choice. Honestly, I, oxycontin is. Yeah. Because it's cleaner. Yeah. You know, it was just a. You know what you're getting when you get oxycontin. Yeah. You don't necessarily know what you're getting all the time with heroin. So that was my thing. That was what I always did. That's what I went out on. And then because it's more expensive, I, you know, and harder to find, I, I it was, ended up going back to heroin for about a week. And uh, those last few days were really, really scary because I didn't know like what was going to happen. I was out of my money. You know, I had all of my shit packed into my little two door 97 Toyota car. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was trying to, I was trying to keep up with, you know, I play hockey a lot, so I was trying to keep up with like all my teammates that were hitting me up, my family that was constantly calling me. I ended up four days before I decided to get clean. I ended up just turning off my phone, which is something that I don't do. I don't yeah. do that. You know, I always have my phone on and near me, social media, whatever the case, phone calls, whatever, family, so everybody knows. Um, I don't like to hide, but when I'm in my mode, I'm, that's all I do. Yeah. You know, I shut down. So. Turn off my phone, and those last few days uh, were really ugly. And I ended up reaching out to um, Alessandra. I actually yeah. reached out to Matt yeah. um, Sanger, and he had re- he had helped me out and got me plugged up with speaking Alessandra, um, which then sent me to. They got Jim. Yeah. What? Tell me about when you when you were. You're 23 years old. Yeah. I mean, when did this start for you? I mean, you know, I I drank and I smoked weed starting around like 15 yeah. in high school. I, I grew up in I grew up in New York, but I moved to Salt Lake City when I was 15. Yeah. Um, and so it was a little different out there, you know. It's yeah. a much different culture. People are a little. They're just they're nicer and they're they don't do they don't drink. Like my high school, like no one really drank. Yeah. No one really did that kind of stuff. It was you know we just went out and like had fun, like yeah. like actual genuine fun. Yeah. Um, so after high school, um, you know, I picked up weed pretty heavily, and but I had a girlfriend who I had to hide it from. And then I went to my freshman year of college. I moved out of home, yeah, my home, and uh, that's when the drinking kind of picked up a little bit, um, more so the smoking weed. And then when I came back after that first year of college, I went, I moved back home, and I broke up with my girlfriend at that point. And I'm, I might need to credit that to 
kind of lifting off. You know, I had gone through, I went like seriously depressed for five months because I was with her for like three years. So yeah. um, once that happened, the weed was every day, all day with anybody I could do it with. My mom didn't really care. She's an alcoholic herself. So she enabled me to let anybody come over. We would smoke up in my room. And then one day a buddy brought over Roxy's about over oxycontin changed your life yeah i had no idea what it was i didn't know what it meant i didn't know about addiction i didn't know what aa was i had i was clueless to this world entirely didn't know anybody in my family yet i was still very young and naive i was 19 yeah um and uh i picked it up and then the next day they came over and the next day and what made you pick it up i mean what made you take it to you know, you're kind of content and then somebody else brings over, you know, a different flavor, so to say, mm. for you to what, why, why, what, what do you remember that day? That's like, you know, when I got sober, I, I literally went back to each time I picked up a different drug because I started with weed mm-hmm. and then I remember what it was like when I did mushrooms, the day that I decided to do mushrooms. And I, I remember what went through my, I mean, it took me a while to actually, kind of really take myself back to that moment but it was like this is why i did mushrooms why did you why did you jump on the roxies you know it's actually kind of funny you asked that because i remember like stating to my group of friends in high school one day when we were you know obviously baked um i was like you know what you know i don't want to do any drug in excess like at all but i want to be like an experimenter i want to try everything out there Hmm. at least once so um, when the Roxy's came, granted, that wasn't what necessarily ran through my head. You know, my girlfriend, my ex-girlfriend at the time was not what ran through my head. You know, nothing of past trauma or anything along those lines. And that moment in time when I decided I had to take my first hit of an Oxycontin was any did none of that pass through. You know, it was more or less just like. I mean, first of all, the peer pressure of my friends telling me that it was better than weed and that it was, you know, you could you could function more and you wouldn't it wouldn't make you think as much. It's more of just like a numb out. Um, and it, that coupled with the fact that I was just really hungry for something different. You know, I wanted to try something other than weed. I wanted to try. I wanted to know what it was like to to try an Oxycontin. You know, I never I didn't know anything about it, really. So it was kind of just like young, innocent me. For, for you know reaching out but not really knowing it at the time you know yeah. just kind of desperate at that point like i would have done anything were you hooked immediately no no hmm. i wasn't um i tried it i got sick i hated it um continued to smoke weed yeah my friends came over a few times after that a couple times like in a couple weeks span i did it a few more times still nothing nothing and then um and then my buddy took me out with him to go pick him up one day and he bought like 20 of them. Yeah. And, you know, at this point I was only doing like maybe one, Yeah. you know, splitting one with a friend, smoking yeah. it, you know, which um, doesn't get you as, as high as like if you were to snort it or shoot it, you know, it was yeah. just like smoking it. So, um, and when I went out with him, he bought a bunch and he gave me a bunch to do. And that was when I had like my first nod, like where I first kind of like dozed off and, you know, and then woke up and was like, wow, you know, like that was cool. Wow. Yeah. And I think that is probably about a month and a half after I had first tried it. And that was when it took off. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty spooky. Yeah, man. It just takes you off like that. It was wild. And I, again, I had no idea. You went from weed to heroin. Because yeah. that's really what Oxy is. It's heroin. Yeah. I mean, it's synthetic heroin. It's man-made heroin. Exactly. I mean, it's just, it's just chemical. It's just, it's made in a lab. That's all it is. But you went from weed to, to heroin. 
I mean, talking about a, he went from probably the lower end of the drug scale, just, I mean, obviously opens up a lot of doors to all the way to the top, right. <laughs> like, like that. Mm-hmm. There was no, uh, he didn't, he didn't go through the, the, the stages of it, so to say. It's Jump pretty incredible. Right it. Yeah. What, how'd you get into treatment your first time? How old were you? I was 20. So after I had done that first little bit, you know, and I kind of got hooked, I went on a run for about a year mm-hmm. in college. From 20 to 21? From, yeah, from, yeah, like night, about to turn 20. So yeah, right before I turned 20 into yeah. 21, um, I had, um, was going to college, was living at home, couldn't hang on to a job, you know, where subway, movie theater, you know, sports stores, minimum wage, just like customer service type. You, you just know. weren't showing up? Um, I was stealing a lot. Really? I was showing up. I was showing up and I was working. I would uh-huh. work, but I would steal. I got caught at every job stealing at, right out of the cash. Stealing, oh, stealing money. Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. They all ever call the cops on you? No one ever did. Really? Thank God. Wow. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then my dad, it, it, I was subjecting my little brother who had the, were five years apart. So at the time, he was like 14. Yeah. Um, and... I was subjecting him to it. He hadn't smoked weed yet. He hadn't done any of that stuff yet. And he had, he was watching me smoke Roxy's like in my room with wow. some of my friends. And again, he had no idea. Um, and then we got into a fight one night and, uh, you and your brother, my brother and I, yeah. yeah. And he, I had kind of like lectured him over the phone and I came home and I was getting out of my room and my brother, my, my, my mom came up into my, knocked on my door and just kind of barged in and she caught me smoking it. And, um, she grabbed it, you know, and freaked out. Yeah. We have a history in my mom's side of the family. So um, she kind of lost it. And then she told me that my brother told her that I was doing some really shisty shit. Um, and my dad lives across the country in New York. And he ended up, you know, I talked with him for the next week. He told me to promise him I wouldn't do ever do it again. I told him I wouldn't. I stopped for like two days. <laughs> but I told him it was like a month. And it went on for another month. And then he showed up to my door in Utah unannounced. Yeah, and uh, sent me to a treatment center and um, donated the name of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, interest. <laughs> you're 21. Mm-hmm. And you're in treatment now. Mm-hmm. Wow. When you were 16, was that? I mean, when you're 16, you're looking four years out. You thought you're probably just going to be going to college. I walked into that place like, where am I? What is this? I don't belong here. You know. It's a scary time for a kid. I mean, you'd be 20, you're 20, 21 years old mm-hmm. and you're stuck in a treatment center, which is very real. But the bottom line is, is you're stealing from your job. You're doing drugs in front of your little brother mm-hmm. and, um, and you can't hold on to a job. I mean, every job you went to, you're stealing from. It's pretty wild. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Not to mention, you know, all the money I stole on the side from my jobs, family and stuff. Yeah. They caught so much with that. So... Huh. I didn't know that about you. I was quite the thief. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. We're sitting here with um, Dylan. Dylan's nine months sober. He's had a – he's He's 23 years old now. Um, and he went through his first treatment when he was 20 years old. And he uh, struggled with um, with heroin um, and oxys um, and got – Got himself into quite a situation, multiple jobs, stealing from them all, um, doing drugs with uh, doing drugs in front of his little brother. Um, just not where 
you know, people plan on being. Um, and I, I don't say that stuff to recap, but just, you know, to shame you in any way. But it's just, you know, there's people that are listening to this right now that are they're probably doing that, too. And they're thinking this is OK. Um, and it's um, it's kind of a messed up area. We're going to run to a quick break. And when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking with Dylan some more um, about how he's um, you know picked himself up and the, um, the amazing stuff that's going on in his life right now. Um, I'm Ross Ramin. This is The Power to Create Yourself. Um, we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebost Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to The Power to Create Yourself. Hi, welcome back to the show. This is Ross. Uh, this is The Power to Create Yourself. We're coming to you from the Rebos Treatment Center in Los Angeles, California. We're here today with Dylan. Dylan has got nine months of sobriety. He's kind of given us a little walkthrough of his um, of his life. He's 23 years old. He first went to treatment when he was 20. Um, he had an opiate addiction. Uh, he started smoking uh, weed uh, with his friends in high school, and it quickly escalated um, into smoking uh, 
uh, Roxy's uh, bills. And uh, his life quickly spun out of control, stealing from his jobs, his multiple jobs that he had. Um, his mom found him. His little brother found him. Um, just going down, um, kind of going down the bad road, as they say. Dylan, I appreciate your honesty that you're giving us today. I really do. And I'm really hoping that, you know, listeners out there, whether it's parents or um, brothers or sisters, that they can hear what's going on um, and how fast this escalates. I mean, you go from smoking a drug that, you know, weed, I think, is just as dangerous as any other drug they just affect you in different time spans um in different uh, levels of uh potency uh but it's what you just showed is what is constantly going on in this country right now is people go from smoking weed if they're lucky to going right into smoking uh, you know smoking heroin and now i don't even see kids smoking heroin anymore or they are smoking heroin but i don't see them smoking weed anymore it's not a gateway drug i'm seeing so many kids that come into treatment here and all these places across the country they're just going right for the roxies Mm-hmm. They're going for, you know, all these pills that they're finding in medicine cabinets or doctors give them out. And if they can't get that, they're scoring, um, they're scoring, you know, they're scoring white china on the street. They're getting heroin on the street. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty wild. So after I want to get back to what you were saying, because I, I, I don't want to kind of do a drunk log of the whole thing. But I think it's really important to show just where you have come out with being so successful. So your your mom came in, your brother told on you all this went down and then you went into t- what you went into treatment for your first time right then right then what happened in treatment when you walked in there you're 21 years old Mm -hmm. and you're in treatment now Mm -hmm. did you know how long you were going to be there for 30 days i knew you knew Mm -hmm. you knew wow yeah and when you were in there what did it ever click to you like when you showed up at that door you're like did you think you had a drug problem or were you like my family is blowing this so out of proportion you know, well, first of all, I think it's important to say that, like, my family is my everything, you know, mm-hmm. so um, that's what keep, keeps me grounded and what keeps me going today. So they really, really care about me. You know, they really love me. Yeah. Um, I'm very blessed with that. And so I had never really done anything extreme in my life. I never really had any past trauma. So when this happened, it scared me. They scared me as much as I scared them, you know, because I didn't really know it. You know, when they when they came to me, I was like, oh, fuck you. I'm, or, excuse me. I was yeah. like, oh, whatever. You know, I'm I'm doing I'm doing this, but it's not a big deal. Like, I'm, I got it under control. So, yeah, at first I was like at first I was like, don't worry about me. I'm OK. Um, but then when they were like, you know, when I took a step back and they were like, Dylan, you know, we don't know you anymore. As soon as my dad told me that to my face, I broke down and I was like, all right, I'll do whatever you want. I don't want that. I don't want you to not know me. Yeah. Um, so I went. Um, when I walked in, um, you know, I had at that point, I feel like I had like maybe 50 percent surrendered. It wasn't so much like my family didn't know or that I thought that they were naive or, you know, um, unaware of what was going on. Um, I just I just didn't want to go into this treatment center. I just didn't want to walk in and lock myself up for 30 days, you know? And then when I walked in, you know, I was in an area where um, there was a lot of, it was older men, you know, it wasn't, I was one of like three or four kids in there Mm -hmm. um, of like 70, 75 dudes. And it was a 
really rundown spot um, and just very unwelcoming when I walked in, very yeah. unwelcoming. So it was really intimidating. You know, I'm this 20 year old kid. It was back east. You know, I'm so accustomed to the West Coast now. And, you know, when you go back east, it's people are not as welcoming, you know, especially when they're coming off heroin and crack. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. it was really scary. It was really scary when I went, out, when I went in there. Um, but my dad, you know, I told my dad, I was like, I'm going to do this at least for you guys at this point in time. Yeah. Um, and so I committed to staying there for 30 days and I went through, um, that was when I got introduced to AA. I had no idea what it was. I remember walking into their, into their like congregating, yeah. like their main room that they congregate in and they had the 12 steps and they had the 12, um, traditions. traditions. And I was like, what is this cult? Yeah. Just like everybody else probably that, or most people that walk into AA for the first time, you know, I had, I was like, this is absurd. This is not me. Yeah. Um, I sat down, you know, um, and they make you feel like a rookie when you walk in because they're like they they the further back you go in, in the rows of the seats, the longer you've been there. So I had to go right up to the front row and sit in the first seat. Yeah. Everyone's like, oh, welcome, rookie. You know, and I'm so I'm feeling like this little pipsqueak. Yeah. Um, it was it was nerve wracking, which isn't always. I, I hate it when they would do that to me when I got straight because it's so embarrassing. You don't know if you want to be there. Right. You don't know what's going on. And they're putting you up in the front row and they're right. totally lighting you up. You know, there's there's a lot of meetings that will do that not i shouldn't say a lot there's not a lot of meetings that will do that but the ones that do it it drives me nuts even yeah. at nine years of sobriety there's so many people that are just like i just want to see what's going on in here i don't even know you're on the moon i mean yeah. you're emotionally you're on the moon you don't know what the hell's going on i mean it's just you're walking into this place you know you haven't even come to grips that you're a drug addict exactly i you have no idea you don't know what's going on you're so uneducated i think that's a lot of the big problem with when people go into treatment is they don't I mean they know that their mom's crying the dad is like about to cry but you've never seen your dad cry before so it's like you know it's kind of like a different type of a thing mm -hmm. and you know your, your little brother's all bummed out but I see a lot of families and when I went in you know my whole family's a mess and they're like, do this, but you are so uneducated of what it's actually doing to you. Nor you could just you kind of see what it's doing to your family, but not like, what does this mean for me? Mm -hmm. I just like, okay, you don't want me to smoke crack anymore? You don't want me to store cocaine anymore? Fine, I won't drink anymore. Right. Oh, what's the problem here, guys? <laughs> this is a little extreme, don't you think? Yeah. I've got a guy over here that's stealing money. He, he's running, you know, bam bam across the border, and I'm in this treatment center, like going nuts it's like isn't this a little much right really 10 minutes per week on the phone like is like <laughs> what's going on here it it's amazing what you just don't you had no idea how deep you were i mean it's not normal to smoke roxy's off tinfoil mm -hmm. at 20 mm -hmm. that's not normal that's not normal it's becoming normal which is terrifying mm -hmm. in a lot of these towns but it's not normal. What 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 is this? Um, what do you got out of there? What? How long did you stay sober after you left there after thirty days? Off everything, six days. Well, I left with the full intention of wanting to stop doing Roxy's. Mm -hmm. I was. But you, you were going to continue drinking or smoking weed? I was on the fence. Um, I remember. You know, what my therapist that I had there, he had told me, he was like, if you, this is like the first time I heard this. Um, and like any other probably young um, kid, the last thing you want to hear, and I was turning 21 in like two months. He was like, the last thing you want to hear is that you can never drink or smoke weed again in your life, you know? Yeah. I went in there just wanted to quit doing a Roxy or two a day, which is pretty much what my habit was at at that point. Um, and I left. 
my and my dad and you know my my stepmom and and my family um mostly my dad because he was the most involved he was coming up there to see me um he was aware too that they had said and he was learning just as much as i was he yeah. was soaking it up all too he was a rookie too right right and we had no one had ever dealt most with families are family. rookies when they come in there right um, he said, you know, he was like, well, maybe you shouldn't drink or anything. And, and he's, he's a stern guy. He's, he doesn't let up on his, you know, his beliefs, but he really didn't know what his belief was on it yet. So I told him I was going to go up to my buddy's cabin that weekend and I was probably going to drink and I may even smoke weed. And that was that. And he was like, all right, you know, um, best to let, you know, like have fun basically. So I went up there, I did that. Um, and then I started meeting up with some buddies from my treatment center to go to meetings and stuff. And that was when I was first introduced to heroin. Um, I was out with my buddy eating Chinese food. Straight up heroin now. Yeah, China, China White. I'd never seen it before in my life, never known anything about it. Um, never, ever in my life did I ever think I'd be doing that or even around it. Yeah. Um, and I had, we were sitting at a Chinese food restaurant eating some food, and um, his buddy that he was with pulled out like a, a whole slew of bags and. I was like, yo, I don't want to do this, but if you guys are going to do this, then get me a Roxy. And they were like, we don't have any. Just try this. It's better and it's cheaper. And I was like, I've heard that a million times, but whatever. I'm going to try it. And I did it. And Off to the races. Right again. Right right back to it. <laughs> In a matter of weeks. In a matter of weeks. Yeah. After doing 30 days. Yeah. What do you think didn't happen in that? Th- do you think – Do you? Th- what didn't happen in that 30 days of treatment? Do you think anything they could have said to you would have changed your mind? No? No, I just think – I just really didn't believe in it. I didn't I didn't believe in in addiction and, and it as an entirety, you know, like that – You didn't believe in it for yourself or in general for anybody? For me. For me. For you. I didn't believe – Because your mom went through this. Yeah. You said. To my, yeah, and at that time again, I've, that's something that I've learned over the last year and a half. I didn't really know much about it before. My mom drank every night – since I can remember, mm. but I never knew that she was an alcoholic. You know, I was so Ill, uneducated yeah. about it. I had no idea. Um, and just barely, just recently have I discovered and accepted the fact that my mom is an alcoholic, yeah. you know? So I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that was what really did it for me when I was in treatment. I just didn't believe that, you know, any mind altering substance, you know, would, would take me back out there, you know? What happened? So you you relapsed after you left there within days, weeks, just depending on the level you want to look at it. And you found your way out here to California, mm-hmm. correct? What You went through treatment, and what what didn't – how long did you stay at, sober after you went through that treatment? A year and a half. A year and a half. Yeah. And then where – so we were talking before the show. That year and a half – like, or let me ask this: What did you do in treatment that second time? Because you've been what three? Yeah. So that second time through treatment, what did you do, or what did you accept differently than the first time you went through? Because you're a little bit more knowledgeable now. Mm-hmm. I mean, weathered—I don't know if knowledgeable is the right adjective to use for it, but I guess you're a little bit—you know how—you know how it's going to roll, so to say. Yeah. Gr- granted, it was a different facility, mm-hmm. but you—you kind of know what's going on. You're seeing how things are adding up, or, or I should say, not adding up. Right. What? Uh, what? What went on in that second one for you? Long story short, and this is what I would—this is what I used to talk about all the time when I when I gotten some time clean for my first time. Um, I had went to this treatment center and inpatient program for 30 days again, and I um, I went in there not necessarily fighting. I wasn't like you know 
screw this. I don't want to do this. It was just more or less like I'm here. Let's just get through this and I'll be done. You know, I was, but I wasn't really thinking very far ahead. Did that for about two weeks. And then I woke up one day and I can remember it vividly. I, I truly, and not everybody has this experience. I know that. I know I did though. And I had kind of this like white light moment. I woke up. My roommate was snoring so loud. He woke me up. It was like 5.30 in the morning. Was The sun was starting to rise. I opened up my curtains, and we were like on this huge ranch. It was gorgeous. And I looked out, and there was just these fields of grass and trees, and I see birds chirping. And I just had this like – truthfully, I had this this wave come over me from like head to toe. Wow. And I, I'll never forget it. And I just like stopped, and I froze. And I kind of felt I – felt, I felt my grandmother near me who kind of has something to do with – me wanting to get clean um so i just felt that i felt like her presence i just felt that she like her love and i remember just i remember truthfully and i said it out loud to the point where i woke up my roommate um i surrender i just looked out and i said i surrender and then that whole day in my head the entire day i surrender i surrender i surrender i'm giving up i will do whatever it takes and uh that propelled me wow and then that got me and, – and then literally the path was just laid out after that. I met a kid there who was coming here mm-hmm. and I didn't – you know, I was back east. I didn't know anything about California but my sister lived here, my older sister who I hadn't lived with for seven, six years. Yeah. And he's like, I'm going to California. I'm going to Los Angeles. And I said, oh, my sister lives there. I'm going to this treatment center which happened to be here. Yeah. And I was like, oh, OK. You know, got a number, spoke to a guy, flew out here. Two weeks later, I'm Whoa. here. I'm in Los Angeles for the first time ever. And I just I, – I continued to, to wake up and surrender. I met some really good people really really early on moving out here and coming here. And um, I, uh, I just stuck with it. Wow. Life kind of just opened up. That God shot. The thing that you had when you opened up the window, when you looked outside, you, you, you got that you were in deep. Mm-hmm. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. I'll never forget it. No, I've had the same one. I get it. I totally get it. But I didn't get clean after that. It... It put it. It put the whole situation into perspective for me. Mm-hmm. But there's so many parts to this in order to have success. Right. Just like any, just like any subject. I mean, right. there's so many. You know, you know that this is bigger. This is a big deal. Like yeah. you just saw clarity for the first time in years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like you're seeing birds chirp and grass. And this probably sounds nuts to you know our listeners that you know just don't understand it. But when you haven't seen clear in so long, and then all of a sudden you start seeing like grass moving in the wind and trees and birds and it sounds so incredibly cheesy but it's like you're you're in a fog yeah you are totally in a fog you're a total nightmare you know as some of the clients they call it a total shit show here (laughs) in the head you don't know what's going on and now you're watching like this world go it's not about you you're seeing your 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 field of vision just opened up for the first time. I'd say for the first time ever. You don't know where you're going yet, but your field of vision just opened up. Yeah. I want to get into where you are going. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Um, we're talking with Dylan right now, uh, who's kind of given us his story about how he got sober. Um, he's coming on nine months right now, which is absolutely tremendous. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Ross. This is The Power to Create Yourself. And we'll be right back after this break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Getting sober isn't just about not drinking and not doing drugs. It's a way of life. 
At Rebos, we have a team of talented professionals, each with their own clear and distinct message to walk clients from the darkest point in their lives out into the light. Rebos offers a carefully curated selection of groups and workshops in addition to a minimum of six individual sessions per week. At Rebos, we believe there are no cookie-cutter clients, and we meet every individual where they are at today. It's not a Rebos program. It's your program. Our team wants to help as many people as possible become who they want to be. And if you don't know who you want to be, we'll help you. Visit Rebostreatment.com to learn more about the Rebos Treatment Center. That's R-E-B-O-S Treatment.com. They say you can't change the weather, but we already have. And if we've changed it for the worse, let's change it for the better. Tune in to The Climate Opportunity, a two-hour special hosted by Beth Green and Dr. Grant Dean. Expert guests, Professor Scott Denning, Chef Laura Steck, video journalist Peter Sinclair, and Kelsey Wirth of Women Out Front will share how we can improve our lives while improving our weather. Listen on Inside Out Radio, Tuesday, November 11th, starting at 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Presented by Inside Out Radio and Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Power to Create Yourself with Ross Ramin. To find out more about Ross and the program, Visit the Rebos Treatment Center website at rebostreatment.com. Now, back to the power to create yourself. Hi, welcome back to the show. This is Ross Ramin. Um, this is the power to create yourself. And we are talking with Dylan. Dylan has been sober for nine months now, and he's given us kind of the rundown of how he got sober, how he got to this point. You know, nine months to some people is going to sound like a lifetime. And to other people, oh, no big deal, nine months. But when you really think about it, it's Dylan has been walking a very, very, very tight line for nine months now. Um, you obviously you've had some ups and downs, but who doesn't in life? That's what it is. I think the biggest key, though, is is 
you've, I, I mean, I don't know all of your ups and downs, but I do know this is you've had enough class to recognize, you know, bumps in the road and either A, how to go around them or how to kind of like brace for, you know, to kind of have a shock absorber to go through it. Because you will have that. You'll have you'll have nine years and you're going to have bumps and you're going to have twists and turns. But to get nine months of sobriety, and that's half the reason why you're here right now, to deal with it with the maturity level that you have um, is second to none. You have a job, you're living in a sober living house, you show up on time uh, to get this to get this you know interview that we're doing now you were 100% on it you called me you texted me you're all over it I want to get back to where you came you had that you know I want to get I want to kind of finish up with you had that shot you were looking out the window life changed for you what what else did you do once you had that when you were looking out the window and you started actually seeing things for the first time and feeling things what you know, touch on that a little bit, because then I want to get into what's gotten to you now. What are you doing differently now? So, but like right after that, during that second trip through treatment, you know, you're like, oh, there's more. There's mm-hmm. more than me. What? Tell me about, go on to the next thing that went on from there. Well, almost immediately after I had had that, like I said, <clears throat> those last two weeks of that treatment center were just a coast. And I think the main reason why was because I had just started to take direction. I was available to. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. Right. My perspective had, you know, taken that smidge um, just enough, though, for me to be able to open up. And, and I started hearing things. Yeah. You know, I started going. I mean, we were in meetings at that place for nine times a day every day it was like insane um but so i started, you started taking direction started listening i moved out here um they told me i needed to come here for yeah. a certain many a certain amount of hours a day they told me that i needed to that I, I they suggested me to go to meetings the interesting thing was that i you know my the house that i lived at didn't wasn't extremely structured it, it, they didn't force anybody to go to meetings they didn't force anybody to really do anything other than to make it home on curfew and to and to pass your drug test yeah you know um I remember I was one of two kids out of the 16 people that lived there and that were constantly coming in and out, new people, new people leaving, you know, um, I was one of two kids that I just went full fledged. I was hopping on a bike, like a really crappy little bike, um, and riding three miles to get to a meeting. Cause I was down in kind of the, in the, in the boonies, yeah. um, by the beach and I would ride three miles to get to a meeting every day. I would walk miles, um, didn't have a cell phone. Didn't have any music. Didn't have anything. So you're doing whatever it took to get to a meeting. Whatever, whatever. Um, then what happened? Because I know it fell apart. Yeah. So that lasted for about a month, for about a year and a half, where I was, I was on top. Things really fell together. You know, um, I met a lot of good people. Things. Um, you know, I was going to meetings. Became a secretary of a meeting. Yeah. Was trudging through my ninth step, getting making amends with people, um, getting really honest. But at the same time, I, I didn't. I just don't feel like I, I dug deep enough. And ultimately, what happened since I, you know, since I look back at it is my life just kind of slowed down. Um, and I wasn't really prepared for it. Um, my girlfriend and I broke up at the time. Um, I play a lot of hockey. That's like one of my big things, um, like to keep me balanced and healthy that fell off for a couple weeks. Um, and then I was working in treatment and living in treatment and I had felt like I was basically kind of always walking on eggshells. You know, I was, I had to be this person for the, for the clients that I was providing for working over, um, that was good. You know, I mean, I was working with my peers. I was, I was working at a house where there were kids my age and living at a house where there were kids my age. And I needed to be this person that just because I have a year and a half sober, I've got it all figured out. And I didn't, 
It didn't at all. Um, and that took about three weeks. Um, I, when I moved into this new house, I had, I had, they had given me my own room, which is the f- first time I'd ever had my own room. Started to isolate really quickly. Um, I bought an Xbox, which kept me in my room all yeah. day. I wasn't getting outside. Yep. Stopped showing up to hockey. Didn't have a girlfriend, so I wasn't like going out on dates. I wasn't trying to see anybody. Um, I was just kind of going through the motions. You started acting like a drug addict, even though that you weren't doing drugs. Yeah, the prelapse happened way before the the prelapse I love it yeah it was about I'd say a good month and a half before I actually picked up a drug I always tell everybody I said your relapse does not happen when you just pick up you know that bag of coke or start smoking that heroin or whatever you're doing this happens days weeks or months ahead of time yeah nobody just trips and falls into a pile of cocaine and just says I just relapsed into a pile (laughs) of cocaine no there are so many thoughts there are so many feelings there are so many things that have to happen so you ended up you ended up relapsing then Uh you went right back to heroin no I picked up Roxy's did you Uh Um, picked those up for about a month that must have been gut wrenching just to go out to get them for the first time, or what? Or was it? Or did you just not care? It was. Or you had a case of the efforts? It, and just yeah, said, it was tunnel vision. Really? When I picked them up, when I when I bought the tinfoil, when I bought the pens to break apart to use, I mean, I was. It was nothing but um, euphoria. I was. So you're okay. So so the listeners understand. You've just been through two treatment centers. Mm-hmm. All right. You're working in a sober living house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're a person of authority mm-hmm. and now you're going out and buying drugs mm-hmm. i mean i think this is just showing you such a perspective of how b- much bigger this is just because you work in this industry just because you're helping people out there is so much stuff that you have to do for yourself yeah. in order to have success right I mean, that's really what everybody thinks. Oh, I do this. I'll be fine. I do this. I'll be fine. It's like going to the gym. Oh, I got a gym membership and I'm buying, you know, $100 heads of lettuce at Whole Foods. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. No problem. Mm-hmm. No, it's all the little things that you need to do. And, and, and no disrespect, as I say this, you weren't doing them. Mm-hmm. You weren't doing the little things that make the world go around, that make your sobriety go around. Right. No. So then you went back to treatment. How'd you get back into treatment? That was... Nine months ago. Yeah. When I had. So how'd you make the decision to go back? Oh. Um, or somebody make that decision for you? No, I made it. Yeah. I made it. I think I had never been homeless before. I had never not had money. Um, at least while I, you know, the yeah. year and a half that I did have clean was the first time I had experienced having actual money. But yeah. um, I remember the Friday night before I called Alessandra. Um, no, I had spoke to her the day before and she said she was trying to work something out and she was going to get back to me. Yeah. And then that Friday I drove back up here in LA. I was up north in like Woodland Hills and I um, was sitting in a Burger King in Mar Vista in the parking lot and I had like a little bit of dope left and it was making me really sick but I kept smoking it. I hadn't eaten actual food in probably two and a half weeks. Wow. Yeah. And I was just sitting there on my phone scrolling. I w- you know what I was doing actually? I, w- I was watching drug documentaries on my phone to like put me with these other drug addicts because I had no friends that were doing it with me. I was by myself the entire time. So I would watch these documentaries of it's people lonely, man. getting high. Yeah, it was. And I remember just like sitting there. I, I mean, that that again was another moment where and I, I my, my, my life kind of flashed before my eyes where I looked around. I saw a homeless person walk by me and I was like, I am no better than that person right now. You know, that, so what you do once you got into treatment? So she got you in. She got me in. She got you in. And you're in. And what did you say to yourself? You're like, okay, what, three times a charm? I'm going to get this? Because it's like, 
I mean, we've seen people go through treatment 20 times. Yeah. Literally 20 times. But it's like, what did you say? Because as I said to you before the show, there's – you have the emotional sobriety now. You've had physical sobriety. Yeah. But when you have emotional sobriety, you don't – you know, you're, you're, you're more balanced. That's exactly where I, what I So found. what did you do to become more balanced? Cause getting physically sober is a piece of cake. Just stop doing drugs, mm-hmm. you know, stop drinking. Right. But that's only lasts for so long that they call it, you know, a dry drunk or whatever you want to call it. But yeah. what are you doing now to keep your emotional sobriety together? Well, I think it's important to know too that my first two months back where it was hell on earth. I mean, I was I've never been like depressed. I've never been on any medication before. Your first before. two months of sobriety? Yeah, of this stint. Um, I had never Why? I, Why were they so bad? Oh man, I don't even know. I was just I would like I couldn't get off the couch. I couldn't wake up and brush my teeth. Really? I didn't want to move. And all I was the only thing that I was obligated to do was come here and sit in groups and have individual sessions which I actually love to do for you know three four maybe five hours a day yeah i couldn't do it and i was being told constantly by everybody that i was in touch in contact with to just kind of keep trudging and and trust in a power motivation i couldn't um so what i did was i kind of just clamped on for dear life um i was going to meetings here and there i started to work with the sponsor again but not fully because it really wasn't doing it for me i mean nothing was doing i mean hockey wasn't even doing it for me i was just nada there was nothing going on in my mind but just like and it wasn't like i was did you guilty. want to use again no it wasn't like i was guilty it wasn't like i was like poor me i wasn't walking around like it was so weird man i can't even explain it i just it was just i was just lost i just felt like i just my body was just giving up on me i was that really it really beat me up mentally and physically i just was like i mean ask anybody here i got all i did was walk around with a hood on my head for two months like no one even saw me and then they like literally came a day I got a job. That was like probably the first thing that kind of pulled me out of it. I picked up, I got a job, which got me busy, which got my mind occupied. And on top of all that, put money in my pocket, which I hadn't had in two and a half months. You know, so I started working. Um, I started getting, I started getting back into eating a little bit healthier, not extremely, but I was dropping old habits. I quit like soda, small baby steps. That was all it really was. I quit soda. I quit eating anything after like nine o'clock at night. All I drink is water now, you know? Um, which then turned into making a goal to go to hockey at least four times a week because I don't really do the gym. So I wanted to make it to hockey four times a week. I signed up for two leagues because I had money to do that. Yeah. started playing a lot of hockey. Then I made it a goal to make my relationship with my girlfriend stronger and more constructive, which we began to do by going to couples therapy, individual therapy on our own, which I love. It's huge for me. Um, and it's blossomed. I mean, you know, we go out once, twice, sometimes even three times a week. We're going to San Diego this weekend for her birthday. Yeah. Um, so like you said earlier i it was it kind of all came in it's and it's continuing to just kind of all come into place where there's just that balance you know um and with that being said there's still you know internal things that i need to work on that i that i try and i I think i've been blessed with like my 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 mind my my mind in the fact that like i'm very self-aware yeah um so when something comes up or when i start to feel a certain way I immediately call somebody just because I can feel it, you know. Um, yeah. I either call somebody or I. Or you had I, it off at the pass. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the balance for me and just kind of maintaining that and not really letting anything 
destruct that. Granted, like you said, life is life. You know, nine years, nine months, we're going to go through shit. Like there's things, there's things that happen Absolutely. and there's things that have happened. You know, I've, there's always going to be somebody that gives you a finger at a stoplight. Right. I mean, there's just angry people in the world. Right. As they say, shit will happen. Right. And the beauty of that, and, and in my experience, is just that my wisdom and my, my awareness and my patience, um, and my, my integrity is continuously evolving and growing and, and developing new skill sets and equipping more tools to my everyday life. You know, there are things that I go through, something that I went through just last week that I was able to kind of work through, speak with somebody about it, a few people about it actually, and then begin to equip that into my life so that when and if something, a similar situation comes up like that again, I know how to handle it a little bit better. Yeah. And that just comes with age, but it wouldn't come, it wouldn't come with age if I didn't stop using drugs, you know, that was what ultimately opened up these doors for me. Once I removed the drugs and the alcohol from the situation was when I became susceptible to growing up and like living a normal life as a productive member of society. Yeah. Um, granted I still got a long ways to go. You know, I'm in sober living, which obviously I don't want to do. I have goals in the future that I want to hit that I'm continuously working towards striving towards. Um, but I think, I think right now, you know, in this moment, um, in this day is where it's most important, you know, and where I can find my most gratitude. Um, the relationships in my life are incredible. Like my family, like I said in the beginning, they're so loving and they've been so forgiving. Um, thankfully I've only had to go through this, you know, the turmoil only a couple times. Um, and obviously there's no telling what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know like right now in this moment, I'm, I'm content and I'm happy yeah. and grateful. Um, I think the biggest thing is just you're keeping it honest for where you're where you're at each and every day. You're not afraid to say, you know what, I'm feeling a little weird or I'm feeling a little shaky. Yeah. You're not afraid to be happy. You're just trying to go through it. And there's so many other things that you're really figuring out mm-hmm. about who you are mm-hmm. and where you're going to. I mean, there's parts of your relationship with your girlfriend, with your job. I mean, you're going to get promoted in your job. If you keep doing what you're doing, staying act, you know, showing up on time and so on and so forth, they're going to promote you. It's just inevitable. Job will turn into a career. You know, relationship, you know, your relationship with your girlfriend will go to another another level. Who right. knows? Who knows what it is? If you got one piece of advice before we close up, that you got somebody out there right now that needs some help. What would you tell them to do? They've been through treatment, I don't know, a few, you know, as many times as you have or, or, or other times. Because what you have right now is so different than your year and a half. I'd put this nine months to your year and a half that you have in a heartbeat. And I barely knew you at the nine and a half, at the, at the year and a half. Mm-hmm. But just the emotional sobriety here, it's, 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 it's like gold. It's everything. What would you tell somebody? I'd tell them to take a look around, see where they're at recognize their struggle at that moment Mm -hmm. you know what's going on physically emotionally whatever um and just surrender except where they're at except where they're at but with accepting where you're at surrendering yeah you know Um, that's good advice well dylan i appreciate that appreciate you man i really do thanks for coming in here talking to these people um my name is Ross Ramin. This is The Power to Create Yourself. We can You can find us um, on iTunes after the show. You can download our show um, anytime you'd like at voiceamerica.com. If you have any questions for me, you can go to our website at rebos, R-E-B-O-S, treatment.com. And I'm happy to answer any questions, to you, for, uh, questions for you. And you can get some more information about our program. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Really appreciate you. And we'll see you next time. 
thank you for joining us this week on The Power to Create Yourself. We hope to have you tune in again next Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition with Ross Ramin on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an enlightening week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.